Matthew chapter 2. How many kids we got in here? If you're a kid, and by kid I mean like actually age, not Gus. All right. Christmas is, Christmas is getting ready to rock, right? We're high expectations this week. My son walked by. We were, uh, we were gun shopping yesterday because that's what we do. But we were, um, but we walked by. <laughs> Sorry, if that offended you, I apologize. Uh, we were walking by and he sees the Xbox One and he, I mean, he like loses his mind. That's what he wants. I need an Xbox One. Need an Xbox One. And I was laughing at it, but I remember me when I was probably his same age. Uh, 1981 or 82 and the 80s recession was in full swing and my dad was unemployed yet again. And my mom began to give the the, the, the set the expectations speech, which we got pretty used to over the years. Now, don't get your hopes up this year. I know Brett LaRue, three doors down, uh, he's going to get the Atari. He's going to get... Brett LaRue was the kid in the neighborhood you loved and hated simultaneously because he had, like, all the cool stuff, a TV in his room, like, with the movie channel. And, you know, it was like... <laughs> like, we had, like, nine channels, but he had, like, three extra, and we were like, oh, it's awesome. So we were setting the expectations for what we weren't going to get this year because, again, there wasn't enough money. And all I wanted was the, the latest technology, the cutting edge. Everybody, was, everybody wanted one. The brand new Atari. I mean, God knows I don't ask much, right? But that's what I wanted, right? And... And the expectations were lowered, and so it genuinely didn't occur to me on Christmas morning that I had, was, I'm shredding, that was, I don't know how you guys do at our house, but we actually, we take the paper off neatly, and then we fold it, and we put the bows, right, so Shannon can use them again, and so we, we just have a thing. Not the, pa- not the paper, I apologize, but the bows. And the bags, we got to have the bags, if you have the bags. Well, back then, I mean, I'm shredding it like a wolf, man. I'm like, you know, and I'm just, and I opened it up and it was like too good to be true. It was the Atari, like my dream had come true. And what I didn't know was that earlier that month, my mom had gone to the mailbox and there was an envelope in it that had $300, three $100 bills, crisp new ones, fresh from the bank. And to this day, I don't know. Who, we don't know who gave it to us. But my mom slept her way down to Hastings, Nebraska, which was the city for us. It was like 20,000 people. We were, where we were, man, it was like a sign, there should have been a sign that said entering the middle of, like right where we were. And, but she went there and bought the Atari. And so our dreams had come true. And then what happened, though, is, as it happens, what, what would happen with any of us, because I want you to know that there was not that long ago my son got the Xbox 360, and that's all I ever wanted. And now all of a sudden, he needs the new one, right? Like his dream isn't enough anymore. He has a new dream. And the dream that he has, you know, can become like-minded, which is one day it's a dream, and the next day it's a nightmare because, oh, man, who's going to pay for these games? Like we had like, do you remember Tank? Come on, Atari guys. I know you have to admit you're over 40 at this point. But Tank was like Pong but with little squares, tanks, instead of lines. That's all it really was. 
And it was amazing for about the first 13 days. And then, and then and poor again because we don't have any money for the games. But you know what we did? Us, we, we Tyler boys were an industrious bunch. And so it, it was at the end of the, uh, the 70s Ice Age. You remember that from Time Magazine? And we were scooping... I felt like it in Nebraska. I'm not going to lie to you. Actually, every year felt like an Ice Age. But So we would go out and go door to door and knock on doors and scoop sidewalks. It's anathema to us in the South, but then that's what you did, and little old ladies would give you a $5 bill, and if you got four of them, you could get a new game, and so we got like the new Star Wars. Uh, It might have been the Empire Strikes Back. Would that have been 83? When was that? 80? So we got the Empire Strikes Back one. Oh, it was awesome, which was like Pong, but with uh, Empire Strikes Back's characters in it. (laughs) Everything was like Pong, but with a different character in it. But we worked so hard for our dream that became uh, like a sucker punch to your dream when Brett LaRue all of a sudden got all the cool new games and you didn't get them. Oh, Brett LaRue might actually listen to this someday. I better. He's a really nice kid. His parents were amazing. <laughs> Everett LaRue. <laughs> um, I can't remember to take the trash up, but I can remember every teacher I ever had and every kid. It's the weirdest thing. But... But our dream had to become a nightmare, became a dream again, became a nightmare. And it was what I was thinking about as Christmas was coming this year is that this is the season of Christmas, but it's really the seasons of Christmas. Because we've had, there are seasons that happen in our lives. There are those of us that have had Christmas, and maybe you're in the middle of having like the rock and roll Christmas this year because you just got the bonus. Or maybe you're in the middle of the Christmas where you're just scraping together and, and you've already had the talk with the kids. And not every year does the $300 appear in the mailbox. It just doesn't. But there are seasons, just like Solomon would say, there are seasons. There's a time for everything. And those seasons are one that I think Joseph in Matthew, actually chapter 1, was quite familiar because he was squeezing a lot of seasons into that first Christmas, all into the first Christmas. Because his dream wasn't for an Atari It was that he was about to marry his dream girl, Mary. He would have been young, probably younger than you, Maddie. Do not take that as... (laughs) See, in theology, there are descriptive passages and there are prescriptive passages. This is a descriptive one. It's not saying go get married. Thank you. Describing the birth of Jesus, you've got Joseph who's about to marry his dream girl. This dream is coming true. And she must have been something because Jesus was going to be born through her. She must have been amazing because God of all the billions of people that have ever lived said that that's the one I'm going to choose to, to, to steward this gift of Jesus to the earth. And it says that the birth of Jesus Christ in verse 18 of chapter 1 took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her dream just got, his dream got sucker punched. This thing, it was like, and maybe you're familiar with this dream, right? When you're going along and it's all going awesome and it's just a sucker punch, but everything was just going so great. And then out of nowhere, my dream is being crushed. And here's Joseph, this young man whose dream just became a nightmare. His young bride-to-be is pregnant, and he understood how this worked and that he understood he had not been involved with this and that it had to mean that there was a problem, that she had not been faithful the amount of heartbreak that that would have broke, just would have crushed his heart. His dream 
had become a nightmare. But look, he's such a great guy. And you can see this is the, the Lord. We don't know much about Joseph. I can't wait till heaven because I really want to learn. But as his dream was becoming crushed, it says that you can see the, the clues as to why God would have chosen Joseph. And it says that her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He was just going to walk away, his heart broken, his dreams crushed. And we, we're so blessed because we're reading all this in hindsight. We're all, we get to, but he, this wasn't his, he had no foresight of this whatsoever. His dream was crushed. But then, just like our lives, hope begins to bubble up and dreams begin to come alive again. Because it says that a new dream would come to him. And in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how relieved the weight of the world off of his shoulders of the shame of, of what this, was, this, what this could mean? The Messiah, they all knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. This promised Messiah that was promised for centuries, and they were going to be the steward of it. And she's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. And I don't know that she understood the magnitude of it, but most days I don't understand the magnitude of it. But her dream, his dream, was a new dream that they didn't even know they had, that the Lord was going to bring Jesus through them. And so the dream is alive, and like any young parent, we got a lot of first-time parents in this congregation. And some of you have been around long enough, but you can remember what it would have been like for Joseph, who's looking at this brand new, not only just a baby, but the baby. Remember the preparations you made? They tell us these days, by the way, that one of the greatest enemies of the nursery at a church in children's ministry is Pinterest. Because <laughs> you mamas come in there, and you've been decorating it and tricking it out, and so we can't treat it like McDonald's anymore. It's got to be like bed, bath, what is it, crate and barrel? What, like the nice stuff. We were just, like, when we were, our kids were young, we didn't have Pinterest, so we were just, like, duct taping stuff together and hoping, right, you know? And, but here's Joseph setting up shop because, wow, that was a close one. He's, he's going to be the father, the guy that's going to steward this Messiah. This is a new dream. Setting up shop, going to the Bed, Bath, and Beyond. Bed, Bath, and Bethlehem, whatever. <laughs> Bed, Bethlehem, Bath, and Beyond. Like, he's going to buy to take care of this son before life came and just kicked him right in the gut again. Because his dream of taking care of Jesus is now a nightmare because, hey, we need you to go. This decree goes to all of the people. You've got to go to the, your hometown, to the place of your origin, 80 miles by donkey. Okay, Now, that's easy to get to Cookville now. But 80 miles on a donkey, and she was great with child. What a nightmare. <laughs> Parenthetically, this is the first mention of uh, pregnancy hormones in the scriptures, especially if you've got the King James Version, because it's recorded that uh, Mary rode Joseph's donkey all the way to Bethlehem. <laughs> There's kids in here, I just, you know... You, <laughs> Thank you.
chickened out. I, you know. <laughs> well, the pastor said it. Why can't I? We were actually, there was a very short conversation with Sarah in the, in the hall. She's pregnant with twins and about bringing Earl, my donkey, in and letting her ride down here just to give a, 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 a you, know, you know, just a show for the kids how hard this really is. <laughs> Rode his donkey all the way to Bethlehem. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> and not just to, to Bethlehem, but to be taxed, to pay taxes. If you haven't paid taxes before, it's hard enough to pay them just to drop it in the mail without just like, oh. But imagine, I got to drive on a donkey to Bethlehem. My wife is nine months pregnant, and then I got to write a check to the Roman government, to the government that's crushing and marginalizing and is unfair. That's a nightmare. And so Joseph and Mary make their way to Bethlehem in the middle of another sucker punch of a dream that didn't come true. And then a dream. Imagine the dream. I got $300 in my mailbox. But it says that there were wise men that came from the east. By the way, next Sunday, it's a real treat if you're around. Andy Reese is going to be here, and he has an entire multimedia video presentation that talks about this constellations that were at the time of Jesus and how they tell the story of Christ. We're going to have one service next week, and Andy's going to do that, and he's going to blow your minds. These wise men came from hundreds of miles and they brought not just frankincense and myrrh. They weren't just doTERRA, oil ladies or young living. They actually brought gold. They brought gold. (laughs) Mailbox money for Jesus. What a dream that would have been as a young carpenter. In those early days of us having kids, I mean, there were times when I was down on West End Avenue given plasma. Have you done that before? to get milk money. They basically put a coffee stirrer in your arm and suck out the plasma for like 20 bucks for you to do it, I think, three times a week. And I'm hanging out there with college kids and homeless kids. It was, and then me. Because we were just doing what it took to take care of our kids. And Joseph, doing what it takes to take care of Jesus in Bethlehem, he would have been a blessing because he's around his family now, the people of his... You know, his family from historically were all now gathered. And so, and you know how that is when you got a new baby. It's always great to have grandma and grandpa nearby. Always great to have aunts and uncles around that you can dump them on. And it's like the library with babies. You just check them out, right, grandma? And then you put them back when you're done. Um, You don't have to pay for any of it. (laughs) So he's in a great place for that. And the dream is there. Their money is here. And it's amazing. What a dream, right? And until, until in verse 3, he realizes that Herod is after his son. Joseph, this son, he understands the magnitude. Again, I'm reading this in hindsight. You're reading it in hindsight. He didn't have that. And what he hears right now is way worse than anything you could hear on either one of the uh, presidential debates this year. This is bad news. This despot, Herod, is going to come and to find his child and to kill him. The gold and the frankincense and the myrrh would have meant nothing at the expense of his child, at the expense of Jesus. It's a nightmare. This is all in the same Christmas season, right? Where 
uh, dreams and nightmares, dreams and nightmares. So he, what am I going to do with my son? How do I keep him alive? Where do we go? A nightmare until another dream in verse 13. Go to Egypt, he tells him. Get your son, get your wife. And if you remember the dream, in the middle of the night, get up and go. Don't waste any time and go. He's going to be safe. And if you've ever had a, a, a child that's in danger or a child who is sick and it's, you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know the outcome, and some of you maybe are in the middle of that right now, but when you've seen them come through the other side, that relief is apparent. The relief is apparent when you know, oh, it's going to be okay. Is the relief he must have felt is, oh, there's a plan that this dream, God has still given me dreams, and he's going to take him to Egypt. And they would have gotten there, how? Using the money that the wise men had given them. It would have financed Jesus' life for those first few years. And when they get to Egypt, they were there for a while until Herod eventually dies. And in verse 19, another dream to go home. Verse 19 of chapter 2 But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in in a what? In a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise and take his, the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought to uh, his life, uh, they're dead. So he loads up the donkey, his dream, I get to finally go home. Finally, I got to get out of this place called Egypt and I'm going home. Until they get home, their dream turns into another nightmare when they realize that Archelaus, who's the son, Archelaus, depending on your, which emphasis syllable you use, is there and he is just as crazy, if not crazier than his dad and this dream is all of a sudden a nightmare. We're home, but what are we going to do? Here's this guy who wants to crush us. And then the Lord appears again in verse 22 in a dream. It says, but when he heard that, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there, being warned in a what? In a dream. And he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Galilee, that beautiful place. What a dream. It's like, hey, Darren, I appreciate everything you're doing. But for you to fulfill the call of God on your life, you need to go to the mountains of Colorado. You need to go to the beaches of San Diego. It's like that kind of an idea in his mind. Right? That's, we're get, this is an amazing dream come true, except for the nightmare part. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth would be, I'm going to have to be very careful. Um, it's like you're almost to, the, you're almost to Destin. And you know one of those little stops where you make with the boiled peanuts in southern Alabama, in L.A., lower Alabama? Do you know what I'm saying? The, it's like we're almost there, but no, you're going to live here instead in this place called Nazareth, which was so bad that in John, I think it's 146-ish, when Nathaniel was speaking of Jesus and following him, he's like, what, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? Ugh. So he's so close, and yet so far. And I, obviously, you've been around me long enough. No, we could go on. (laughs) But my point that I saw this Christmas that I wanted to share with you this Christmas is that some of you guys have got dreams. And some of them are on standstill. Some of them have been sucker punched. Some of them have been crushed. Some of your dreams have come true. And some of them have, you're holding on to it. We miss Bobby in this dream of this building that one day it would be full. And then sometimes... 
For how many Sundays did she come? And it was just the dream. It wasn't time yet for that dream. But as I was reading this, and I'd like you to go back with me and see, because four different times, there's four different mentions of this idea that Joseph's dream was sucker punched. A dream and a nightmare, a dream and a nightmare. But look, look at what happened in each, in four of these six instances I just read to you. In verse 22 of chapter 1, that it would be fulfilled. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah 7, 14, is what he's quoting, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that that nightmare of Joseph was there and that God was up to something and it was there so that it would be fulfilled what God had spoken. And in verse 15 of chapter 2, on their way to Egypt, which must have seemed like such a failure, must have seemed like uh, we're so far from home now. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Quoting Hosea 11.1. And in verse 17, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And in verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that it would be called a Nazarene. You don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 139, in verse 16, the Lord tells us, this is such a great passage that we talk about in reference to pregnancy and in the womb and what's happening, what God is doing with that little boy or girl inside of you, in some cases both. My frame was not hidden from you, verse 15. When I was being made in secret, I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In verse 16 of Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And listen to this, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Every day that you have right now was written before. Every day. What's happening in our lives, God's not wasting it. He's forming it. And whether you believe he causes it or allows it, it doesn't matter. What matters is to know that he's in control and he is not asleep at the wheel. That your days were formed. When I look back to my childhood, every sidewalk I ever scooped, Every pile of horse manure I ever shoveled. <laughs> we worked really hard when I was a kid because we didn't have any money. And if we were going to buy school clothes, we'd go down. My first kind of job was at the sale barn, shoveling cow manure and whatever else was manuring at the sale barn at the time. <laughs> Funny, now that we have our own horses, I was thinking, well, you know, when you get older, maybe it was, it was, since it's your manure, maybe it won't feel as... as <laughs> As it turns out, <laughs> just a heads up, it's the same. <laughs> if we were going to get a swimming pass in the summer, we had to work. We'd sell, we, were live, we live not far from what we call the lake, and we would sell fish, we'd catch night crawlers. That's a northern term for really large worms, right? You know, northerners know what I'm talking about. And we'd sell them, and we would pool our money together, and by May, we'd buy ourselves a swimming pass for the summer at the pool. We'd work in detasseling corn, anybody, right? Roguing beans uh, in the Midwest. 
and by the end, we'd go and we'd buy our school clothes. And I remember how much I hated it. And I remembered how embarrassed I was of it. In fact, I remember in those early days, in the old days when you were on the government lunch programs, they gave you a different color lunch card so that you knew and they knew. And my Aunt Donna, who was the school, my grandfather's brother, God rest her soul, never much cared for my dad. And so we'd, as we're getting our lunch card, she'd look at us with a scowl. She was like the, uh, the administrator school lady and just a look of disgust. You guys just milking off the system, you know. And I remember in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. And I figured out that if you take bubble yum and you buy one of those 10 packs of them, you scrape around for enough money, you could double your money by noon and have enough for lunch. I also learned about inventory control because as it turns out, if you chew too much of it, <laughs> you don't have lunch. <laughs> it took me a while. I still don't understand inventory control when it comes to food. We learned, I learned how to, you know what I learned is how to be an entrepreneur. And I learned that for the past 21 years of our marriage, that the Lord, what he was doing in my life at that time that felt so awful and so shameful and so awful, he was doing it so that it would be fulfilled, what I've, what I've called you to do, that it would be fulfilled in Psalm 139, those days that have written out before you. And just like Joseph, I didn't have the benefit of hindsight, I only had the benefit of faith sight. And I didn't always understand. Most times I didn't understand. I sure didn't understand in fifth grade. But I do now. And I say that to say that, you know, we, we pray so often, God, please change this and change that. And he loves us and he cares about us. And sometimes he does change it. But sometimes he doesn't because by not changing it, what's happening is it's changing you. What he hasn't changed, let me say it again, will change you. Answers to prayer are yes, no, and later. All three of those are legitimate answers. And when I think about what the, the greatest gift that we could give our Father this year is a gift called faith. Not faith in faith. Faith that if I have enough faith, I can get whatever I want. But faith that says, I trust that this God of the universe that stopped time and matter and became man and split history in half and being rich became poor for my sake, that this God that did that, he's got my best interests in mind. Hope is the expectation, the absolute expectation that something good is going to happen. And Christmas has this way of letting hope just bubble up from inside of us. And today, maybe that hope is bubbling inside of you. Let it bubble up from the inside. Hope is in the thing, but faith is in the creator of the things. And so for me, my belief, and I totally believe with all my heart, that God leaves his best to those who leave the choice up to him. So when I say to God, I'm going I'm to make my suggestions, I'm going to pray and ask for this and pray and ask for that, and sometimes he gives me an Atari and sometimes he doesn't. But he's good and he's sovereign and he's kind so I can know that whatever it is that I have right now, whether this is the year of the Christmas bonus or this is the year of the Christmas famine, whether I'm in Egypt or whether I'm in Bethlehem, 
whether I'm at this company or that company, whether I'm with this or that. Or th- God is in control, and it's being written for you that it, quote, might be fulfilled, that the days of your life, that when you look back in hindsight someday, and when you're young, I know you don't have a lot of hindsight because you, you haven't been around that long, but I've been around long enough to know that those, some of those things, what are the, the words of the great poet Garth Brooks? said that we should thank God for unanswered prayers. And I think that's kind of right, but what is really right is that those prayers were answered. They were just answered not in the way that I wanted them. So hold on to your dreams. Let hope bubble up. Understand that there are seasons of Christmas, but all of them are interwoven with, stitched together, placed in motion by a Father that loves you, that's got your best interests in mind. And I look back on it in those years when I don't, didn't have as much, those years when I was letting somebody stick a coffee stirrer in my arm because I didn't have enough money for milk. I look back on those and I tell you, I leaned on Jesus a lot more than I leaned on him in the, in the good times. There is a gift in that. There's a gift in that. I know when you're five, you don't understand it, but someday you will. And when you're 30, it seems like, oh, this is never going to end. Do you remember those days we thought we'd never get a house? I thought, man, we'll never be able to afford a house. I've chosen the music business for crying out loud. I've put the entire financial well-being of my family into the decision-making abilities of a 20-year-old bass player. No offense. I thought he'd. Ne- I don't. We, I just thought this is it. Remember those days when we? I was a waiter for years, and I mean, when I say waiter, I mean like this whole shebang: green apron, bow tie, name tag with a little pineapple on it. That kind of waiter. And I did it for years, and I remember the day when I burned. <laughs> we were done. I got my first real job in the music business, and I burned my, my burned my pants as a sort of uh, I don't know an homage to what was you know to my future. I was such a bad, I was, the waiter of the restaurant was so bad that my pants wouldn't even burn. It was like a burning bush experience. Like it was burning, but it wouldn't. You know, the pants were burned, but they weren't consumed because it was all the grease that was in them. <laughs> Never going back there. And two years later, two years later, after I had my first real job and both of my clients left and went to the, to the big agency in town, and I realized, oh no, I'm the farm team. And I ended up back in that same, those same khaki pants, not the same ones, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Green apron. It was like getting called back to Egypt again and trying to build a business with it. And I, and I could go on. I mean, I, I literally I can look back on our story and see that that was the path that the Lord used that ultimately led me to being an agent at William Morris Agency, but ultimately, honestly, led me to be here. Because let me tell you, when I was back for those two years as a waiter trying to build a little booking agency, I met a guy who said, hey, we're going to start a church in Nashville. We ended up back here again, and it was in those years that I led this little Bible study at that church that allowed me to hone my skills. I had no idea what God was up to, but it was so that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. Parenthetically, that never ends. That process of dream and nightmare, dream and nightmare, that's what we call life. 
And on this side of heaven, we can't see it in future, but we can hold on in faith that it might be fulfilled. It might be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for invading earth with your mercy and with your grace that it might be fulfilled, that our sins would be forgiven. Lord, I know that in a room like this with so many people from so many backgrounds that there's all kinds of dreams and nightmares going on simultaneously. And I pray that we'll all, in the good and the bad time, in the dream and in the nightmare, that we'll all be reminded that you're involved and you're weaving it together. You love us so much. You're so infinite that you care about the infinitely large and the infinitely small that you're still there in those details and those of us that can't see it today Lord we hold on with hope and with faith and take a lesson from Joseph that when it was all said and done that you were at work that it might be fulfilled let it rise up let hope rise up inside of us that it might be fulfilled It's in your name that we pray.